Hello and welcome to episode 107 of Fergo on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can find me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. And joining me as always is a glorious League Freak, who you can find on Twitter at League Freak. How you going there, mate? I'm going very well. I've got a clear throat and I'm ready to do this. <laughs> you do. And this is probably going to be now the 27th episode that Julie's going to have to catch up on. Yeah, Julie. You think that you're going to get ahead of us? 27. Yeah, we, you better, we you gave, better schedule. We gave you a few days to catch up, and mm-hmm. you only did one episode, so we're just going to have to pack a few more on now. Exactly. So, man, there's been a fair bit going on mm. all over the place. Mm. Let, let's start with the big news that happened. Uh, okay. David Fafida, he did something on the back of a motorbike when over in Bali. Why the fuck did he go to Bali? Um... And I could barely see what the hell happened on the footage that was shown. He ended up spending a few nights in the clink. Um, it was apparently, quotation marks, harrowing because he had to yep. pee in a bottle. Um, yep. This is at the same time that there were people who had died, lost their homes, and were struggling to you know figure out what the hell they were going to do because of bushfires in New South Wales. But David was in a harrowing situation after we in a bottle. That's Anyways. not harrowing. I mean, seriously, has he never been four and a half hours into a raid on Destiny and everyone's saying, we've got to do this one last time, you've got to hold the plate. And the only thing you've got close by is a bottle. You've got to sacrifice for your teammates. I'm sure everyone's done old bloody wean a bottle at some point in their lives. Yeah, 100%. It's just something you do. Especially and if, what, you know, and you what to do. Like well, you, When you see yeah. a bottle, don't you look at it and say... <laughs> Yeah, I might, I might have a leak in that thing. There you go. It's a bottle. It's empty. Mm. That's not how it should be. It's yeah. supposed to have something in it. So you're it's a glass half sort of person as well, aren't you? That's right. You're like, it's my civic duty to make yeah. sure that there's something in that bottle so that it's got a purpose in its existence. Otherwise, it's just litter and someone's going to complain about that. I've seen enough Bear grills to know you prepare. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> See, Bear, Bear never put it in bottles. Nah, he just went straight from the source, yeah. which you got to admire to a certain extent. Takes you know, a bit of work. And, and you do want it to be warm. Yeah, it takes a bit of work, though, because you've got to check the wind speed and all that sort of stuff. There's a lot of effort mm-hmm. goes into that. Yeah. Yeah, maybe um, we should get Todd Carney on to talk about this. He might be helpful. Yeah. Um, he did it in an enclosed environment, though, didn't he? Man, we took this right off the rails immediately. We, We've we been have got to do a podcast, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> you can just tell it's been a while. Yeah. Um, now, apparently, it cost a, a few a few grand in a peace deal to get David mm. out of there, and the Broncos have said we didn't pay it. Mm-hmm. Um, and apparently, it's come out of David's pocket. I assume. But it's um, been funny how it's been reported because it's like no money was paid but $30,000 allegedly was paid. And it's it, so, like, one party is saying it there was no payment and then another side saying, oh, yeah, we allegedly had to spend thirty grand to make this all, you know, honky-dory. And I think, I think the Broncos were saying there was no money spent because they feared it may get included in the salary cap. <laughs> I think it would have too, yeah. And fair enough. <laughs> oh, fair enough, but it's just the, it's the oddest money to have included in a salary cap. Oh, we had to get a teenager out of a Bali prison. Yeah. Yeah, it makes, makes you wonder what is the weirdest one. I know that 
Parramatta had an issue with flying, uh, I think it was Semi Rajdra's family um, f- over from Fiji for like a milestone game. I think it was him. And mm. that ended up having to go on their salary cap. Um, but yeah, it makes you wonder what the weirdest salary cap inclusion has been. It does. Now, another thing to go with this David Fafita story, not relating to him, you know, all much of what happened in Bali. But more so much the Broncos. And a question I want to put to you. The Broncos have just revealed that they've, I think they've tabled him a million-dollar deal for yeah. three years. So three, $3 million over three years. Do you think that's the dumbest deal ever, given that they were just in a position of power where they said, we've just got your ass out of jail in another country? How's about See, we settle on a deal where we pay you about $700,000 a year instead because you owe us? See, I think that going over there and being there for him was a, a really smart move because, as you say, it, it conveys goodwill. But at the same time, I think that he could have spent the next six months in jail, come out and still got a massive offer from any of the clubs that are after him. Um you know, I can see where you could say, look, your market value has dropped because of what's happened. But I think the problem is that it probably hasn't just because of the way rugby league clubs are. Like, the clubs don't care. Um, you look at someone like, uh, what's his name, that, that was actually in jail, um, went to the West Tigers. Russ, Russell Packer. Russell Packer, yeah. I mean, you know, the clubs don't care. <laughs> He, he came out and he was all friendly and lovely and had one good season and the Tigers, well, Ivan Cleary paid top dollar for him. I'm pretty He's... sure that Hull FC, pretty sure it was Hull FC, tabled an offer to a player that was in jail in the UK. And I, I'm pretty sure I know the player's name, but I don't want to say it in case I was, I'm wrong about his name. But the, he was in jail and they signed him to a deal for when he came out of jail. I like the fact that we're being careful about not incriminating players but we're more than happy to go talking about pissing in bottles yeah well you know <laughs> that's incriminating just ourselves yeah that's fine now um it's been revealed to different story kieran foreign they found that his shoulder injury is much worse than they first thought and he could be out for nine to twelve months to get that thing completely fixed up so with that rather sensitive news, there was a few little suggestions that maybe he may be medically retired because, you know, that's what's fashionable now. Mm-hmm. But it seems that Foran is he's keen to, you know. But, um, over at Fox Sports, James Hood Ornament just yeah, James Hood Ornament has come out putting out a uh, an article saying that Foran was the worst signing in the NRL history. Yeah. I saw that. I didn't read it. I just saw the headline and thought, oh, that's a nice way to put something. And then I saw it was from James Hooper and I was like, oh, what has not got a story about Latrell Mitchell today? That's a bit weird. Yeah, that's coming up. Um, (laughs) (laughs) But it it made me think, um, obviously, the timing is disgraceful. Mm -hmm. And it's... If you think about it, is he really the worst signing ever? Like, I think about it. Sure, he's been injured. Mm-hmm. Um, and he's going to miss probably all of next year as well. So he's not going to have played many games for the Bulldogs. But they signed him as a test player. Yeah. And he played so well at the back end of this season. He won his test jumper back after being out for two years due to the injuries and not being able to play too much. 
which says mm. to me he's still a quality footballer. It's unfortunate that he's he's um, being paid so much or spending so much time on the sideline with injuries, but injuries happen to a lot of players. I mean, Billy Slater paid, what, eight, nine games over two and a half seasons? Yeah, <laughs> I, look, he's definitely, he's got to be in the top 10 worst contracts, I would say, just for how much he's on and how much footy he's missed. And also, I think the circumstances he came to the Bulldogs as well. I mean, I think it took him a while to just get back into, you know, being a professional footy player, to be honest. But the worst ever, I think that you would, it'd be hard pressed to go past Garrick Morgan. Um, he's Carlos the one that for, jumps out at me immediately. Carlos Faliga. Yeah, he'd be right. He'd be in the final as well, for sure. I think he was, I think he signed a three year, $600,000 deal with Sharks and played 11 minutes. To be fair though, it was a real good eleven minutes. <laughs> well, look, and, was and it wasn't because he didn't get he didn't get picked against. So it wasn't that flash. That flash. <laughs> Try, I'm trying to help him, poor Carlos. Yeah. Um, but he did, yeah, he did well when he went to Cooma. I'm told. Well, he's the pride of Cooma. Um, I I don't think that I would have foreign in the in the finals for that. You know, I no. think that there's plenty of others that have been absolutely terrible signings. Um, and foreign hasn't foreign hasn't been the greatest one, but it's been just a bit of bad luck more than anything. We've seen signings of players that have been signed that should never have been signed for massive money. Um, so Adam yeah, I, I think it's harsh. Adam Blair, I mean, any of his well, contracts from the last six years. Another one was um, Matt Ballon, and the yeah, Tigers, the Tigers signed him when he was injured with a long term injury. Mm. He he spent three years at the club and played just over eighteen minutes, mm-hmm. and the reason why he was brought to the club short was probably something to do, you know, partly to do with the fact that he was rep level. I think he filled in for Cameron Smith at Origin a few times. <clears throat> um, I thought you'd be the first to do that, actually. Um, <laughs> but I think he was largely brought to the club to try and justify pushing Robbie Farry out of the team when Jason Taylor was there. Yeah. So he was just a pawn um, to try and get Farry out of the club. And because he was injured so often, it backfired heavily on the club. Well, what about, I mean, and it, look, what about someone like a Josh Reynolds who, when the Tigers signed him, I was kind of like, why have they gone after him? It made no sense to me. Like, he, he's never, ever, like they have Benji Marshall there. He just never had a position there, and I never understood why they signed him. How about Moses and Bai? Uh, sorry, this turned into a pile into the West Tigers. I didn't mean it to. <laughs> no, I mean, if you're going to think about bad signings, and if you, that's the first place to go to, Terry Hill, John Opawada, like yeah, yeah, yeah. We've the, we've got most of the top ten. <laughs> yeah, like is Kieran Foran in the top ten of the worst signings that would ever have been made if you just had him and the West Tigers history? No, just just him and not the West Tigers. He'd be in the top ten. Yeah, but if you're including the West Tigers, he doesn't rate a mention. <laughs> see, the Tigers also brought back um, uh, Jason Moody. Um, Pat Richards, or he wasn't too bad when he came back initially. Um, well, I'm I'm not 
I'm not too hard on Madalena because he did come over and he was playing well. Poor Bogger just had busted knees, but he kept putting in, unlike Russell Packer, who had one good season and then cracked the stats because he's made Ivan left. Yeah, it's a good point. Um, man. Oh, who's that uh, used to play for Souths, has a neck tat with his South <laughs> number? Oh, Chris McQueen. Chris McQueen. He'd have to be right up there. Yeah, jeez. This has gone south real fast. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, you know what? We'll stick on the Tigers and big name okay. signings because okay. they've been touted as the front runner to sign Latrell Mitchell. Now, yeah. Before we go into this too much further, three days ago, um, prominent Fox Sports writer, staff writers, mm-hmm. put out an article saying that the Tigers are the front runner to sign Latrell Mitchell, but they've got cold feet because they don't want to pay the big money. Because they've been burnt a few times already before. How and many then, quotes were in that article? That's all of them. No. Okay. There wasn't okay. one. Okay, <laughs> there's a theme there, hi. Hey? There is a theme. And then today came an article from article from uh, James Hood Ornament. Yeah. And he's saying that the Tigers officials travelled six hundred Ks to go and see Latrell Mitchell to get his signature. For a, for a club that three days ago had cold feet, they're not really doing it right, which doesn't surprise me given Justin Potato's there. Um, he probably thinks it's, the term is cold hands or something because you sign the contract with the hands. He's, he's a bit – he's not quite all right. Mm-hmm. But uh, the other thing that strikes me is that Latrell Mitchell was being touted as having forgotten his roots and, you know – the, he was in the fast lane of the city life, getting around in a $250,000 car, which was only an $80,000 car that wasn't his. Mm-hmm. Um, that sort of drama. And then we find that three days later, he's up in Taree putting our bushfires in the country town where he come from, which kind of just showed how much of a load of bullshit that story was about the $250,000 car that was only 80000 that he didn't own. I'd also suggest that, it, like, the club in the space of like 48 hours say let's be generous here has is the front runner to sign him then gets cold feet then travels 600 kilometers to sign him but he's not signed yet so what is going on like what's actually happened are they reporting on stuff that's actually happened or are they just making it up um the latter i'd imagine yeah that's Uh, what it sounds like hey sounds like james hooper and his um, alter ego staff writers, staff writers, yeah, has decided that he's going to create a shadow and then jump at it and then besmirch the, sm- the shadow either way mm. and then talk about someone's going to pay the shadow a lot of money. He's trying to sort of cover every single possible option the story could possibly have so that at the end, even though only 10% of the stories will be accurate, you'll still go, I told you. Yeah, it's like like when you break it down, what has actually been reported, has any of it happened? And I question that. I mean, I feel as though if the Tigers had his name on a signature right now, and look, they might announce it by the time we put this out. You never know. But I feel as though it would be, you know, as soon as they got his signature, it would be public. Yeah. To me, given that Hooper was working so hard and so feverishly for the back half of the season, Pushing this story that Latrell Mitchell is going to the Bulldogs. 
Yeah. And the Bulldogs denied that they'd had any serious talks with him. Even at one stage, denied they'd even spoken to him. And Hooper's gone on about secret meetings at board members' houses and stuff like that. And there was nothing, again, no quotes, no sources, just all whatever he said. And then it turns out that the Bulldogs had one brief meeting and said, no, nah, we can't afford you, we're not interested. And he went, yeah. they were so dismissive and played that down so quickly and so easily that all that build-up that Hooper gave it was just bluster. And now, because they're out of the picture, he's going to the next team with a quotation marks, trademark, war chest, which is <laughs> apparently the West Tigers. Um, and there's it, no it quotes actually... from anyone of the Tigers either. They'd said, they've said, you know, oh, sure, we'd love to have him. I mean, every club's going to say that, but there's no talk about, you know, we've been in talks with his managers, no talk from manager, no quotes from anyone. Yeah, and yet, like, I mean, he was signed, sealed, and delivered at the Bulldogs according to all the media types, yeah. and all of that was bullshit. Um, I still wouldn't be shocked if he's a rooster next year. Like, I, I just don't trust any of the crap that they come up with because so much of it has been just utter bullshit. Um, the you only know, quote we've got has come from Latrell, and he said that he will be at the Roosters next year. He posted yeah. it on his Instagram account. Yeah, and, and you know, until until he signs somewhere, it's not really a story. Like, I, I'm not interested in uh, stories about, like, you know, shadow boxing. I just have no interest in them. And I understand that there's a certain clickbait quality about them because they want to be able to say, oh, he's about to sign with the West Tigers or on imminent signing or whatever, you know, and people do click on it because, you know, fans of clubs are interested. But until somebody has signed a contract, nothing's happened. Like if the West Tigers want to go, you know, and travel 600 Ks, good luck to them. I don't care until they get his signature. It's not really a story until they've got his signature. Like, you know, will he, will he report on them traveling back? Well, it's just, where do you draw the line? And apparently there is no line with these journalists. No, this is the thing is, I understand clickbait. I understand the purpose of it. I understand that it has, it has a purpose and it needs to be there. But this stuff with Latrell Mitchell has been ridiculous. Well, yeah. over the top, perversely stupid, and just over the top, utter garbage. There's no yep. fact to any of it. It's just been, let's just keep putting Latrell Mitchell in the headline and putting a story out there and see what happens. And I've had people say to me that, oh, just don't click on it. It's clickbait. Just don't click on it. I'm going, for years, I didn't click on these articles. Mm-hmm. And what did that do? It did nothing. They still happen. So in my mind, ignoring it did nothing but help perpetuate it. So I've made a decision that if I see crap like that, it's not every article. Obviously, it's not. But if I'm going to see garbage like that, I'm going to go and call it out. And I'm going to say, this is crap. Because I think if we if more people do that, then there's the, you know, the companies like Fox Sports and News Limited and Sydney Morning Herald and Nine and all that sort of stuff eventually they're going to hear it. And it may sound like a pipe dream, but last year we actually had the Daily Telegraph say that they got, um, they had one whole newspaper. I know it's not much. One whole newspaper and they said, right, all we're going to do is run positive stories in there all day because we've, you know, a lot of people have been saying all we do is talk about negative stories all the time. We had 
Crawley pissing and moaning about it. We had Buzz Buzz Rothfield last year talking about it. Um, so people constantly complaining about the bad stories and the clickbait garbage and stuff. It did get heard, and there was a response in the end. Sure, it was very condescending and piss weak, but it was a response. It meant they heard us, and that means that speaking up speaks volumes compared to ignoring it. So that's why I'll speak up. It has has an effect. Well, the, I mean, the, and the thing is, when you speak up about it, I think you bring it to people's attention more because, uh, it, you know, clickbait is effective because it does work and it's part of the business model of these media companies now and we're seeing it in all walks of life. I mean, how many amazing $10 Kmart hacks do we see in the news these days? It's just <laughs> clickbait bullshit. Um, so... When you bring it to people's attention, I think that you have the ability, even if you convince one other person to not be clicking on it, um, it, you know, it does help in the long term to try and stamp out this clickbait bullshit. Um, but yeah, it's look, I don't know that it's ever going to change. I think the media is sort of past a tipping point where there's no redeeming them for the most part. I think that. Uh, you know, they're, they're kind of circling the drain and they know it. That's why I see all of these journalists or, you know, they're just, they're just content creators, really. They're not really journalists. They get let off uh, from their jobs every so often and they'll have a rally and, you know, they'll get upset at people that are saying, oh, well, maybe you should have written something better. Um, but, yeah, I, I think that it'll all change. I wouldn't be shocked if in, say, 20 years from now, we look at newspapers and, and digital media outlets and they're going to look very different. And the way that, you know, you've got things like chief, you know, writers and, and you know, head writers for this and stuff, I, I think that'll all be out the window, to be honest with you. But that's, you know, that's a, a wider media standpoint, I guess, that I'm looking at. Um, I just think we're seeing the, the death throes of that, um, transition, I guess, the beginning of that transition, where it's going to be staff writers. You know, it's going to be just nameless, faceless people just pushing out content because it's so much cheaper to do it that way. Well, that's true too. Now, um, what's the next story we've got here? Oh, yes. There was a story which came out, which I think has been dispelled overnight. Um, mm-hmm. the Brisbane Broncos were going vegan. Oh my goodness, that was the dumbest shit I'd heard. Like, I, you know what? I said that. Uh, I said that to be in a collision sport and going vegan, it just isn't going to work, right? And that's been proven. I had all of these fucking idiot vegans getting in touch with me saying, "What about this player here? He's like, I had people sending me." Uh, there was like three or four NFL players that say that they're vegan. And it's like, have you seen their drug testing policy in the fucking NFL? Do you think that they're just eating fucking, you know, salads? Are you kidding yourself? Um, so, yeah. And, of course, the, like, it was so stupid. The Broncos had to come out and say, say, we're not all going vegan. That's dumb. Yeah. Another nut story. Mm. Um, the... St. George Illawarra Dragons CEO Brian Johnson has announced that he will quit his role after mm. the Jack DeBellin case has ended. I don't know why he's chosen that case. Yeah, that's weird. That's I don't, like yeah, a, why would that's, you... That's like having a, a, 
That's like having an end date on your contract at some unknown time in the future, which is what we all have. Maybe, <laughs> maybe he knows this, this case is going to go for another three or four years. <clears throat> that would be smart. If he knows this case is going to go for three or four years, he says, look, I'll, I'll, I'll quit when this case is over, knowing that he's probably on his way out in the next six months anyway. Maybe it's a good call. Well, I'm, I'm assuming it would be a good call. Um, I've heard from unreputable sources that... Telegraph or Fox, Fox Sports? Which one? Uh, neither of those two. I've got my own sources around the world. Okay. But I, don't, I don't name them, though. Okay. Um, and I don't, I don't peddle their stories. Yeah. But uh, I have heard from some um, not very good sources, I'll, I'll put it that way, that uh, John, Johnson and McGregor are very close. Mm-hmm. So there's a few concerns that those two being in a, uh, you know, being at the club is driving the club south. So mm. talk is if you get rid of one, it may help to get rid of the other, which mm-hmm. is a, a, a step in the right direction for the club. Um, the reason why I say that's not a good source because I've not heard that qualified anywhere and I've never heard anyone say anything that bad about Brian Johnson as a as a CEO. We all know how bad Paul McGregor is as a coach. See, when I look at the the St George Illawarra Dragon situation, <clears throat> I just see a coach that they can't afford to fire because they've fired everyone around him or moved them on or hinted that they should leave. And he's the only one that's left standing. I, he he must be due a lot of money because I mean, it, it's simple. You just sack him and move on, but they can't. They literally cannot afford to. It's kind of crazy, and it shows what happens when you sign such a bad contract. And look, I, I, I would say to Johnson, and, and you know, he might not have a reputation as a bad CEO or something, but someone signed that contract for McGregor, and if yeah. it's the CEO, and it's got to have been the CEO at the end of the day, man, he has to pack his bags because that contract is an albatross. That's so bad that the uh, dragons can't get out from underneath it. It was it was a shocking one. I can't believe they re-signed him. No. Um, speaking of another coach, uh, former Dragons player Nathan Brown and former Knights coach, he's going to be an assistant coach over at the Warriors, and I think he's going to be working um, intensely with the the young hookers they've got over there because they don't have any experienced nines there really. So. Mm-hmm. He's going over there to work as a as a uh, number nines coach, and I think that's a good move. There was also a story during the week from Trent Hodkinson saying that he, <laughs> sorry, that um, Brown had built somewhat of a toxic culture at Newcastle. Yeah, I read that one actually, and because that jumped out at me, and uh, I read through it. And look, if you're a competitive player and you get dropped. <laughs> And you don't get dragged back into the team. And look, I don't think it's up to the coach to keep in touch with you all the time. I really don't. Like, they're professional footballers. If you want a hug, go and, you know, rent a hug, I guess. That's what the NRL players do. Um, But, yeah, I, I didn't see anything toxic about it. And it's like, you know, Nathan Brown went in there to coach a team that was an absolute basket case with bits and pieces players. And I would suggest that Hodkinson, who uh, was medically retired this year, 
Um, you know, he'd be one of the players that just, I mean, his time at the the uh, Knights was absolutely forgettable. And I think that, you know, I mean, they, they went out of their way to bring in Pierce. So, you know, like, what did he want? You know, there's a difference between cultivating a, a toxic environment and just upsetting someone because they're not getting a run in first grade. And that just sounded to me like a whinge from a player that felt like he should be playing first grade but wasn't. Yeah, I I felt the same way. Um, mm. and besides, it's it's hard to argue with what Nathan Brown's done there. I mean, he turned up with an absolute dog's breakfast mm. and he's got them with a decent roster, a competitive roster. And, I mean, they were pushing towards the, the top eight this year. They should be better next year with a little bit more cohesion, haven't had a season together. But, mm. uh, you know, it's hard to tell how that team's going to perform with a rookie coach at the helm. So who knows what's going to go on next year there. But uh, it's not like Nathan Brown turned up and made the place worse and then left. No, and look, I've been critical of the way he did leave. I thought it was very poor. Um, mm-hmm. But, you know, like Hodgkinson, like he's, it was so forgettable, his time at the Knights. You know, you forget he was a Knights player. The last good season he had, he was in a, a Bulldogs jersey. And how long ago was that? And he, But then he, he's medically retired this year. Like, what, you know, this isn't exactly Andrew Johns that was put back to reserve grade. I think he should have just shut up. Yeah, it's it's one of those things where he should have just uh, moved on. Mm. Just move on, Trent. Yep. Even Wally Lewis was tapped on the shoulder. Yep. Now, I've got a few more here. There's, the next, next story is an interesting one. Um, it does involve something from Rugby Union. Mm-hmm. So perk yourself up. Eddie Jones wants to take over at South Sydney after Wayne Bennett's contract ends. Yeah, I um, I'm thinking, and I'm I I don't know which way I'm going yet, but I'm either going to marry Amy Adams or Scarlett Johansson. Uh yeah, I'm just tossing it up at the moment, and I guess Eddie Jones is doing the same thing about wanting to coach South Sydney, so. Good luck to him. I hope we both get what we want. <laughs> Who do you reckon will get what they want first? Well, I reckon we've got about the same chance, quite honestly. 50-50? Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Although Which I think is... I'm a bit too young for Scarlett Johansson. Hey, she kind of goes with older guys. Yeah, and I think she probably likes shorter guys too because she's you know, a lot of tall women. They like the shorter blokes. I don't think she's tall. Is she tall? I don't know. I'm just I'm just making up words here to talk about how tall you are. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't know. Anyway, uh, Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones. Eddie Jones. He, uh, so, I thought I it was a nothing is, story. You know, it was something that... Well, I just want to say, the last time we had a rugby union coach with the surname of Jones come to rugby league... Oh, Fuck. They yeah, were dark but, times. I don't know, Darren Clark. They were dark stuff. times. <laughs> Very dark times. 
Yeah, yeah, it was. It, like, you know, I thought it was, I just thought it was a non-story. I, I, th- I feel like... It is. I think they got Ricky Stewart to come in and say, oh, look, he really loves his league and all this stuff. Well, of course he does. But I don't even think it would have got that far. I reckon they would have been like, oh, you went over there? Yeah, yeah, and you know. He likes league too. I reckon he'd be a good league coach. And someone says, yeah, really? And he says, oh, yeah, he's talked about it. It'd be pretty cool to coach club like South or something. Bang, headline, Eddie Jones to Souths when Wayne Bennett's gone. <laughs> it's That's how it works. And Wayne Bennett's not leaving anytime soon. No, look at him. Just look <laughs> at him. He's still coaching. He's still he's racking stro- in the. He's, he's still <laughs> racking up all the money. He loves the money. He'll get the money off anyone. He's even getting the Poms money now. And like, just look at him. You know, he's, do you reckon he's he's, he's going to stop coaching at some point? No. Nah. Someone's going to one day they're going to look up. To, you're going to get the video camera. It's going to be in the coach's box, and his face is going to be pressed up against the glass. And it's like, well, Souths need a new coach. <laughs> yep. That's it. Time's come now. Yeah. Um, now, in the wake of the um, Bali debacles that we've had this off-season, mm-hmm. Todd Greenberg has come out and essentially he's got the shits about player behaviour again, and fair enough. Yeah. But it's one thing to get the shits about it, Todd. What we need is something firmer mm. to sort of tell these players... We're not going to just sit there and make you pay tiny little fines, which you, you know, which is just a week's pay for you. We're going to do something a bit more substantial. I don't know what it is. Um, I saw someone, someone had mentioned during the week that NRL players should be banned from going to Bali. Yeah, that what? was Peter Peters. Right? I saw this on the starting block. Right? I was watching the starting block yesterday. And they were saying how Peter Peters said that players should be banned from Bali. And they made a really good point that, like, okay, let's ban players from Bali and let's try and get them all going to church. Oh, wait a minute. Yes. That doesn't work either. Yes. That is, that I, was I, I cracked up when point. I saw that. That was hilarious. I've, I've got an alternate option, and that is don't ban them from going to Bali, mm-hmm. but just say to them, if, you, if you're smart enough to think that Bali is a good place to go to for a holiday then that also means that we should be able to go and take half your salary off you because you'll be smart enough to make that money stretch. I'll go in a different direction. You ever seen the movie Demolition Man? No. Okay, what I do is I grab all of the NRL players and I put them in cryo sleep over the off-season and then I'll wake them up when it's pre-season training and I think that that would be a way better idea than banning them from a regional area of Indonesia. It'd probably be cheaper too. Probably, you know. Um, I'm trying to think of a downside of cryo, apart from the fact that it doesn't work yet. Um, well, I, I was just convincing myself to not make a joke about frozen bodies. Um, okay. It's not really a, a good thing to do at this stage. Um, so yeah, big, big week in news. Anything else going um, not that I've seen. Uh, there's the interview that Nigel Wood is going to be doing on the International Rugby League ah, podcast. Ah, yes. Yeah. Should you, we ask some of the questions on questions. there? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I mean, 
we could do a few episodes. We could do a few questions there. What do you reckon? Yeah, let's do it. Let's answer some of the questions. All right. We'll go to the the, the top one here on my list, which is okay. from a at League Freak. Okay. Should we ask that one? hot. Yeah. How does someone with a disastrous record find themselves in your position? Is it all about kissing the right ass, or did no one else want the job? It's a very fair question, I think. I want to know how you fail upwards. I've always wanted to know that. It happens in government, happens in any government departments, uh, and it happens in rugby league as well. You just fail your way to the top. And I want to, I want to know what the secret is. It's, I reckon that takes a lot of hard work. So do I. I mean, you look like more at... hard, like more hard work than actually getting to the top with actual hard work and success. So I think that I think the way to do it, right? This is my theory. You just tell everyone they're going great. You just say, "Man, you're doing such a good job," and that way, no one dislikes you. And all of a sudden, you get everyone liking you. And when your job comes up, and you say, "You know what? I wouldn't mind being the CEO." People start saying, you know what, that league freak, he's such a nice guy. I wouldn't mind him being my boss. And then, boom, all of a sudden, league freak's running the show. He sits down at his desk on his first Monday morning, and he he, he opens his laptop, and he goes, what the fuck do I do? I've got no idea what I'm doing here. You ring up your, you know, your secretary. You say, Doris, send me in a coffee and a good book. Please. She says, right, right away, Mr. Fr- you don't say please. She's an employee. She does what you tell her to do. You, you just said you've got to be nice to everyone. Yeah, no, only until you get to the top, and then you treat everyone like shit. Oh, okay, fair enough. Then. Yeah. Um, and Andrew RP asked two questions. Yes. There's been a few conflicts between players and governing bodies in recent times, France, Lebanon, Tonga, not to mention the dramas faced by Greece. What is the RLF doing to resolve these issues? How do you fix the issues in Greece? It's a very I'm, good question. I'm thinking I'll get political answers to those. Yeah. Yeah, I would suggest so. I would guess that he's going to talk <laughs> a little bit about Tonga and he's going to skip Greece. Yeah. Which, that's not helping. They, I mean, they, they really need to sort out something there. I don't know how they do it, but they really do. Uh, yeah. The other one I asked was... I'd- Sorry. I was going to say, hopefully getting to a World Cup will uh, sort of get the authorities thinking, you know what, this shit looks nothing like the Cathlon. <laughs> this might be a sport in its own right. This might catch on. Yeah. I kind of like the look of this. Yeah. Um, I also asked, given that no previous Rugby League World Cup has managed to attract even half a million fans, what will you be doing differently at the 2021 Rugby League World to reach that 1 million spectators goal that the Minister for Sport, Tracy Crouch, stated would happen? And someone mm-hmm. replied saying that, pretty sure that figure's revised down to 750,000. So already their lofty goals have been slashed. And still, well, you... that needs to be double England's best ever effort at a uh, Rugby League World Cup for attendance. But it made me think about what the total stadia capacity is if you add up all of the games and they're all sellouts. How much would it come to? That's a very good question. Yeah. I don't think we, we haven't yeah. got the draw yet, so we'll have to find out. But they've got a they've got a number of stadiums there that hold thirty odd thousand. Mm. 
and a few big ones there, which hold 60 or 70, which I dare say are going to be used for the finals. And I dare say they'll find a way to have Australia play England in a game or something like that. You'd but guess be, so. What, 12, 3, 12 games per group. Yeah, yeah. Do, so do the maths on that. Like, what would the average crowd have to be for just to get 750,000? Let's say that, let's just forget about the finals because they come out with a million. What, what what would it have to be, the average crowd? I bet it's ridiculous. Like, because in my head I was thinking, I bet that it's way more than the stadiums actually hold when you add them all up. So we're going for the million. Mm-hmm. At least 21,000 per game. See, I can't see that happening. No, God, no. You know, the it, only way like, you're going to get that happen is if you have Australia playing every game and you allow Australians to fly to England for free for the entire World Cup. Then yeah. you're going to get 21,000 to a game. You know what? We should start a Kickstarter to get us both to the Rugby League World Cup so that we can cover it just for the listeners, not for us. This isn't about us getting a free trip or nothing. Like, people would say it's a junket. It would not be a junket. It would be a working, like, doing it for the listeners sort of thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I have to bring bring the wife and daughter with me. Well, she, yeah, we bring it everyone we want. Like, we've got to have support staff. Well, my wife is good with, with with sound equipment. Yeah. And, I mean, obviously Elle is good at, at uh, you know, mic checks and testing and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. We need those, we need those uh, experienced people on board. Exactly. And look, I... <sighs> I mean, you've I, got I... an entourage of about seven that I know of. <laughs> look, I need to have... Uh, an environment which is conducive to uh, creative activity, which means like, you know, five-star at the very least. There's not going to be any, uh, I was going to say the name of the place, I probably shouldn't, but there's not going to be any shitty shouldn't. hotels in Manchester this time around. <laughs> no, no, we'll be uh, we'll No be TV doing and no alcohol. Fuck that. Never doing yeah. that again. We'll be doing this job properly. Yeah. So yeah, there you go. Woo. There's there's an idea for people to get on board, or you could just get a sponsor on board. That would be handy too. Mm. Um, trying to find some other questions here. It's gone missing on me now. I must have clicked the button somewhere. Hang on. <laughs> I here saw some is. good ones. Yeah, gone. Um. Will the International Rugby League now check if member nations are fulfilling the obligations which led them to reach their current tier? It's a very good question and because people, I think there's a lot of bullshit going on. People have put some stunning questions in here. Mm. Um, when will the 2025 Rugby League World Cup be sorted and how can the Nines gain any traction with one major event every four years? That's <laughs> another great question. I was actually thinking about that... Uh, the day before last, like world world nines, it can't survive just every, once every four years. There has to be more to it than that. It has to be a yearly event. 
Yeah, it's got to be yearly, and it's got to be expanded, have more teams in it, not just the World Cup competing nations. Get yeah. the emerging nations in it. Yeah, get everywhere that they play rugby league really well and Wales, and, you know, get them all together. Play play it more often. Uh, do we need Wales? No, we don't. No, okay. Um <clears throat> It's another one. Is it fair that Serbia missed out on Rugby League World Cup qualification time and time again because they didn't have mass immigration to Australia in the post-war years that Italy, Greece and Lebanon did? Would it be fairer if the quota on domestic players was higher than 2 out of 17, such as a 50-50 split? I agree 100% with that. I thought that was a great question. I saw that. Um, brilliant, brilliant question. And I agree. I, like, I thought the quota was way higher than 2. I thought it was... Uh, Skewed the other way. <laughs> yeah, the questions here are stunning. I'm not mm. sure he's going to be able to handle them. And I'm not no, saying that to mock him. I'm just saying that there's some people with genuine concerns about international rugby league, and I'm not too sure that, that Nigel's going to be, or Neil or whatever his name is, he's going to be prepared for the quality of questions that are here. Yeah, um, I, I think Michael will ask him, though, who, who hosts the podcast. I think he'll ask them. But... Whether he gets proper answers, who knows? Why isn't England starting mid-year tests between Wales, Ireland, Scotland, Canada, USA, etc., and have Great Britain playing in the Southern Hemisphere during rep rounds? That's a good question as well. I don't know why it would be so easy for the Rugby Football League to set up those those internationals, and they just don't. I don't understand it. They are... And I do... You know what it is? They like the money that New Zealand and Australia produce for them. That's what the answer is. But the money won't come if Great Britain slash England becomes easy beats. And the it only comes. way to not become easy beats, well, I, I say this, they're not getting flogged by 50 or 60 at the moment. Um, but if that starts to happen, and given the trajectory, it's quite possible, then yeah. Australia and England would just say, you know, what's the point in us playing you if we're just going to flog you all the time? And so Australia will just play play New Zealand, Tonga, Samoa, Fiji, Papua New Guinea, teams that are competitive. That's what will happen. And so yep. England and Great Britain need to start playing more games. If it means they're going to play Ireland, Scotland, Wales, France, then so be it. They need to be playing more football at an international level, not just token little tours here and there down to, to New Zealand where they lose every game and then go home. What's the, what value does that have? Yeah, one hundred percent. You know, they'll they'll I've got no interest in seeing Australia play England or Great Britain. Like I'd rather see competitive games. Yeah, I mean I would I would run to see an Australia versus Great Britain game if Great Britain were competitive like they were at you know the start of the nineties. Yeah. They were fantastic. And but unfortunately, now unfortunately, you know, they're easy yeah. beats. Yeah. Um USA definitely needs to be playing more games against better opponents. One or two games per year versus Canada and Jamaica, no offence to those, isn't helping anyone. They need to be playing more opponents. Another brilliant brilliant question. I'd like to see uh, France play in the United States a lot more. I think that that's what they need to do. They need that step. I know that they had a series. I don't know if they still do it, but they had a series where they would play Ireland every year. Um, I think they need to start playing against France. I think Canada needs to as well, just to get that next step up. 
uh, I think it'd be good for France as well. Yeah, I think you know, France needs to be playing more international footy. Um, they've got a bit of a bit of turmoil within the organisation at the moment, which they need to sort out um, and sort out quickly. But mm. once they've done that, I'd like to see them playing more Test footy. Um, Steve Mascord's asked, how is everything progressing for Rugby League with the uh, Sport Accord and getting the sport into the Commonwealth Games in the Nines format? Yeah, I mean, the the thing I don't understand with the Commonwealth Games, and even the Olympics to some extent, why isn't touch football there? Mm. Like, you know, I wrote an article about this about 15 years ago saying a version of rugby league could be in the Olympics if we, and it was like if we tried to. And it was touch footy because touch footy's played all over the world. It's a version of rugby league. I don't know why that's not pushed. And it should be, like it all should be. Like the international rugby league should be pushing for, you know, nines and touch football to join together. And rugby union players could join it and keep their amateur status. Oh, wait, that doesn't go on anymore, does it? No, no. <laughs> now they pay their taxes. <laughs> um, Simon asked, have you realised bringing back rugby was a huge mistake and how much damage has it done to the English rugby league brand? Well, you know, this is a weird question I've seen posted a few times. You know, they're failing. And it's not about the brand. It's just about where they are. Like, Great Britain, this is Great Britain. You know, this is English Rugby League. You know, if they didn't want to hurt the brand, they wouldn't play games. I don't know what the alternative is. Yeah, it's got me beat. Um, Someone said, the sport needs a strong France. What steps are the International Rugby League or the RLEF taking to improve their situation? That's um, a great question. Man, this, this is so much different to the Ask Todd Greenberg one because a lot of that was just people taking the piss out of him. Yeah, yeah. And we're seeing here how much International Rugby League means to fans. And so... Yeah. The main thing here is you've got this group of fans, especially in Australia, who have this massive thirst for international football, not just involving Australia. They want to see international football between anyone, and they want it to be competitive. It's an untapped market, and at the moment, the International Rugby League are not doing anything to try and capture them and give them something that they'd be invested in. Yeah, and like this is a market that, you know, they're – they want more, give them more, you know. Um, the cool thing is the game is moving forward at an international level by leaps and bounds, and it's driven by the explosion of talent that we're seeing, especially through the Pacific Islands. And now that needs to be catered to, you know. We need to see, like, we need to see nine, a nines tournament every year. We need a, I think we need an under-20s World Cup every probably two years. Um, I think we need to do something with the World Club Challenge. I still favour having a three-year World Cup cycle. I think that that would be perfect for the game in so many ways. Um, well, actually, and- on that, I had, I had a different idea just yesterday 
about the World yeah. Cup qualifying process. Yeah. Because remember we are talking about going, it was just weird. You had all of these weird repper charge rounds and a repper repper charge and all this is weird stuff and you're trying to figure out how yeah. the whole old thing worked. Uh-huh. How come every second year after World Cup we have Northern Hemisphere and Southern Hemisphere qualifiers? And every time in the Northern Hemisphere, obviously there's a lot more up there, so the, the structure will be different. Yeah. But you had end up with the the top, say, six teams in both hemispheres automatically progress. Yeah. And then the next set number, because our magic number is going to be 16. Yeah. So the next however many teams from north and south will then have a separate tournament the following year, and in that tournament we determine the last four places. Just streamline it. Bang, bang, you've got three tournaments, that's it. North, south, and, and then, then a repercharge. charge, that's it. Yeah, so I think that would be a great idea, but the only problem I see with that is just that it would cost a lot of money. I think that, and I think that that's why they sort of break it down to, you know, north and south, or the different regions or whatever they do it, and then they eventually is just a one-off game here or a one-off game there because it's a lot cheaper than doing it like the, the way you said, which is the perfect way to do it and would help rugby league too because you would have that exchange of, uh, you know, you'd have different levels of teams playing one another in that third, that second round um, and it would help everyone get better. It would bring some competitiveness into it. Well, the main reason why I thought of doing it this way is because as we've endured in the last few weeks, watching a game that doesn't involve any of the major nations mm. is a chore to, to just to find a stream of the game. And the last one we watched was recorded on someone's phone and live streamed. Yeah. And that's a World Cup qualifier. That's hopeless. So yeah. the idea is if we have them all in the one spot, you've only got to get the TV crew out there for this you know, two-week period. They can broadcast every game properly. All at the same time, you get them all done all at once, and then same in the Southern Hemisphere. It's just bang, bang, and it's two big tournaments. It's going to be a lot easier to get um, sponsors when you've got a massive tournament like that, which would help pay for the costs. The broadcasting, you can put adverts in there, helps you know make money out of it. Um, because it's a proper big event, you can pick a few different countries to have them in to try and get more crowds into the games. To me, it's just a way of trying to find ways to increase revenue, cover the costs, increase the coverage of the game, and increase the number of spectators coming to watch teams other than the major nations who people always go and see. Yeah. So, you know, if you're at a tournament and say it's in the Northern Hemisphere in England and France and all those teams are there and they're competing against the likes of Germany, Serbia, Malta, and so on and so forth, then when Germany plays Malta or whatever, you've already got a whole heap of fans over there watching games. They might just go along and watch it, and all of a sudden, instead of getting 180 people to watch them, they're getting 1,200. It doesn't sound like much, but it's a shit ton more than what they were getting. You get a lot of sponsorship out there, a lot more eyes on it. You can broadcast it around the world. It's something they can sell as a package deal. Try and do something different to make money out of it, because at the moment, they're they're not going to be earning a, a bloody red cent out of it. Yeah, and like, 
I mean, the, the games that we've watched uh, in the last few weeks, not so much the ones that have been in the Southern Hemisphere, but more the Northern Hemisphere, there's been, you know, less than 100 people there watching the games, unfortunately. And mm. the players deserve better because they're putting in as much effort as they possibly can. Um, you know, you'd think that there would be a better way about it. But I also think that there's got to be... And they do a pretty good job in the Northern Hemisphere. I think in the Southern Hemisphere, we need to start playing more games uh, in Pacific Island nations rather than playing them just in Australia and New Zealand. I think it's time for the likes of Fiji, Samara and Tonga to have some home games. PNG is getting a lot of home games, which is really great to see. And you can see the effect that that has in PNG. We've seen that all week with Great Britain turning up and I think it's the English women's team uh, were in PNG last week. So we need more of that. But, uh, I mean, it's that sort of tournament you're talking about. I would love to see, if they went that way, it'd be cool to have it just always in France and give the French people, like, footy to watch. Mm. Uh, the, the, the only uh, downside I could see to that is with the French club season being in their winter still, uh, it might take away from that a little bit. But... You know, maybe you could work with the French Rugby League and sort something out where maybe you have double headers or something. I don't know. Yeah, I'm sure something could be organised there. I just think that they've got to do something different. They've been doing it this way for years, mm. and it's it's achieved bugger all. So they've got to try something different, something a bit more bold. Um, especially if their plan is to try and get you know three quarters to a, of a million to a million fans to watch the next World Cup. When essentially what we've seen over the years is it's the same fans watching it time and time again. Yeah. And, and you know, I, I think fans, the thing that worries me about the next World Cup is that if England is not competitive, like they're going to be playing against Australia next year. Australia's going to win the Ashes series 3 nothing. How much they win by is going to be interesting to see. But if Australia absolutely thrashes England in three straight games, uh, you know, English Rugby League fans, they're going to switch off of turning on, you know, watching England. They'll watch. I think they'll still watch New Zealand. I think they'll still love Tonga and Australia and that. But when the home nation isn't going to do any well, um, that's going to hurt any World Cup. Yes, and they don't have immense pride in their rugby league team. No. no it's not like the, the people of France would churn, turn up and watch France get belted by 80. They wouldn't care just as long as they get to support their their team on home soil. Mm. They're happy with it. They've got a lot of pride over there. The English tend to just... I suppose they're like the Australians because it's a, it's a major sport within the code, not so much in the country. Yeah. Um, they tend to find things to whinge about it all the time. Yeah, they do, but to be fair, I mean, there's a lot to whinge about with this Great Britain slash England team. There is. They're given plenty of reasons. Yeah, I they're, they're terrible. They are indeed terrible. Now, that's pretty much wrapped up everything I had written down on my, um, my little piece of paper. Excellent. Well, we hope that Julie's really uh, enjoyed this episode, hey? We'll, we'll tick that one off the list, yeah. Hope, hope you enjoy this one, Julie. I dare say it'll be Christmas by the time you hear this one. <laughs> Which means that by that stage, there'll be another 30 episodes to catch up on. So, yeah. um, boy, you've got some catching up to do because we don't do off-seasons. 
No, there's no there's no off season at Fergo and the Freak. Not at all. We've got a, I'm going to work on a history episode for hopefully maybe our next episode. Yeah, that'd be good fun. Um, yeah, they seem to be going pretty got, well, so I'll try and get another one of those out. We've also got some uh, guests coming up. We've got uh, Michael from the International Rugby League Podcast will be coming up, I think, next week. We said that we'd do it after all the, the main internationals were over. We've got uh, talk about the Golden Boot Award because that will be awarded in the next week or so, which will be funny. The Golden Silver Bronze Boot. They cut it down to three people, by the way. Did you see that? I did. Did you? Yeah. What did you think of the three names? I mean, it's going to be Roger Chulvasa Shek. Out of out of what they had nominate, nominated, mm-hmm. I'm happy with the final three. I was worried yeah. that a that a English player was going to get named because yeah. none of those English players deserve to be named. Do you realise now there is only one rugby league award in the whole world that is for the best player in the whole world at every level, and that's the King of Rugby League award that was inaugurated on LeagueFreak.com? This is very true. It mm. also means that there will be a very special episode coming up in the not-too-distant future mm. where we have our Fergo on the Freak Awards night. Yeah. And, uh, you know, every single game is included. Everything. The, the award kicks in on the 1st of January and it goes right to the very last game of the year. And, which, uh, yeah. Which is, next, no, which is this weekend. Yeah, there's no... There's no voting structure. There's no panel. There's nothing. There's just the king and the award and the best player in the world. And that's it. And so this year it'll be James Tedesco, I guess, I dare say. Oh, really? <laughs> well, that's just what everybody else is saying. Mm. Yes, that is what everybody else is saying, isn't it? It is. <laughs> we shall see. Yeah, I, I know who you'll pick. <laughs> Thank you for the way. Moses and Bye. Well, he did have a good year. He, well, he a, played for Queensland. What if I got a head, in, head injury, right? And I just insisted on it being Gartherson. Wow. Can you imagine? That's when people would know something's wrong. They'd be yeah, like sent an email saying you got to get you got to get a scan. There's a tumor or something pressing on something important. We'd have to have to discuss what what size of blow are you taking to the cranium to get to that <laughs> point, and how We're many talking... of them are you taking? Like I'm I'm guessing, um, let's see, you're outside and you've decided yeah. that you you don't want someone to come and pinch your thaw hammer, so you've decided to sit it on the guttering in the roof. At the, yeah. the, outside the front door while you're yeah. doing a bit of gardening and you finish your gardening, you got everything looking nice and sweet and you come, you go to come inside and the Thor hammer falls out of the gutter because of its immense weight and it spanks you on the head. You hit the ground, you get whiplash in the back of your head, smacks the concrete pavement outside yeah. your door that I assume is there. Yeah. The Thor hammer then bounces and then bounces straight back up and smashes you on the forehead as you're lying on the ground and crushes your head again. I'm, I'm guessing it's going to take that level of head trauma. 
you didn't if get to my that point. Thorhammer, if my Thorhammer fell on anyone's head from like a height of any taller than I reckon two or three inches tall from from the top of your head, I think it would probably kill you instantly. <laughs> it's pretty heavy. <laughs> like if it fell off a roof and hit you in the head, it's gonna be they're gonna have to pull it out of the inside of your head. That's how heavy it is. Just scrape the remains back inside your skull. Yeah, it's gonna Give be me a little like, some jumper leads. Bang, he's back to life. Like Take you know when up. you get a big, you know when you get a a uh, big Easter egg for Easter, mm. and like you're like, I'm just gonna punch my fist through this thing, and you punch your fist through it, but then you have got to pull your fist out of it, and you've actually like you're grabbing on the it's grabbing on the sides and stuff. It'd What's be the like about that. Easter eggs here? Yeah, yeah. yeah okay. I'm just talking about fist and an Easter egg. What are you talking about? Fist... I, was just, I was just checking. Yeah, and it just gets tight sometimes, and you remove your fist, and yeah, and then you lick your fingers. <laughs> you that chocolate off. So yeah, that's what that, that's what the hammer would be like to your forehead if it if it fell off a roof. Pretty much, yeah, yeah. You'd be right. cleaning grey matter off of it and stuff. But that would, literally would be the point of that. That's yeah. how much head trauma you'd require to get to that point. Exactly. Yeah, to pick okay. the emu. I had to make sure I got that okay. That yeah. occasion very uh, specific. Yeah. Yeah, we like to get descriptive. We do. We've, we've managed to um, be thorough, I'd say. Yeah. It's the best way to describe that. Okay. So if, if you're putting Gutherson up with that head yeah. trauma, who would, you be, who would be your other nominees alongside him? Ooh, it'd be like Gutherson, uh, John Hall. Bateman, Ryan Hall... Um, Kevin Sinfield again. Um, by the way, when's Kevin Sinfield going to get fired from all these director of rugby jobs he's got? Because every time he, he becomes the director of rugby somewhere, the team immediately goes historically badly. Like, w- at what point is he responsible for that? Uh, never. That's what I thought. Uh, who else would I put up? Um, Aaron Woods... Uh, and that I think that would be about it, really. I can't think of anyone else that is. Uh, oh, probably Blake Austin. Oh, I've got Blake in there. Yeah, he's an standing here apparently. He um, really has best winger in Great Britain. <laughs> it's sad, but it's true. Um, <laughs> it is. <laughs> <laughs> so this weekend. We've got the, actually, I think it's tomorrow night, Paul Gallen takes on um, Bruce Bell or something like that from the AFL in a boxing match. Uh, how do you think Gallen will go in that? I don't care. No, I know I, that. I, I'm Neither not do interested I. in celebrity boxing. They're, they're all idiots. I don't know who pays for this shit. Uh, the, you know when I say the winner is rugby league? The winner is anybody that doesn't watch that shit. That's who wins. If you're watching it, you've lost. Because these are old men doing celebrity boxing. You know, it, go, and, go and watch something else. But if we have to pick a winner? If I had to pick a winner, I, it definitely wouldn't be the AFL player. Anytime an AFL player is supposedly tough, they get the snot beaten out of them. 
So I think they did the way today and and the you know, Bruce, what's his name, came in at uh, 105 kilos. Mm-hmm. And he was like tall and thin because that's what AFL players are. Yeah. And Gallon weighed in at 101. And even though he's like three foot shorter than him. That's interesting. Um, um, now, Bruce, what's his name, decided that he didn't want to have three minute rounds either. He only wants two minute rounds. Oh my God, that's so ridiculous. So, Gallon's called him Noodles. What? Two minute, oh, yeah, two minute two noodles, noodles, yeah. Which is probably one of the wittiest things I've heard a rugby league player come up with since Darren Lockyer's joke, which got him into a bit of trouble many years ago. So Darren Lockyer's joke is one of the greatest jokes that's ever been told, ever. And and the timing of it as well. He didn't give a fuck. He's like, like, watch. He's like, watch this. I'm going to just drop this right now. Yeah, yeah, right now. I think what's funny That's about right. it is the fact that Darren Lockie was the last person you'd think of who would drop a joke like that. Mm. That's what that's what sold it. Um, so yeah, Gal's come out with a good joke. It's the second best joke in rugby league since 19, uh, 1999, really. Um, so it'll be interesting to see how it goes. I guess for some people, um, I, I don't really care. I'd be surprised if if Bruce was his name. Does anything after the first round? I guess he'll be stuffed after the first round. Or Imagine the... I want to talk and shit about a boxing match, and then you're like, "By the way, I can only do two thirds of a round." Just saying, yeah. I'm going to beat the crap out of you, but I'm only going to do two minute rounds because uh, I can't do more than that. Like, why didn't Paul Gallant tell him to go fuck himself? I think Gal just decided that you know it'll be it'll be fun to earn a few a few pennies just. Uh, Bashing the piss out of an AFL player. Yeah, do it for shits and giggles, and then after that, who's he? Oh, he's supposed to fight Sonny Bill. Bill Williams in another celebrity boxing match. Sonny's and been then, working uh, hard bashing up greengrocers and insurance salesmen, so uh, that'll be a good challenge for him. It I will don't, be, yeah. I'll say this right now: I don't know who the hell any of them have fought because I just don't care about boxing. Who did? Wasn't there somebody? The closest I think any of them have ever fought a real fighter was um, like one of them fought John Hobawadi, I feel like. And I can't remember who it was. Did one of them fight John Hobawadi? Might have been Gal. I don't know. Oh, was it Solomon Homono? Homono was a good boxer, I've been told. But it's like... I think he held a state title or something. Well, I'm pretty sure that uh, John Hobawadi was the Australian champion at one point. Like, but they're just, I mean, it's celebrity bo- boxing. It, that's all it is. It's just celebrity boxing. Was was, you know? was, Hop, was Hopper a boxer or was that in mixed martial arts where he could use his no. elbows and fingers? <laughs> Imagine that. Who was it that uh, Kimbo beat the fuck out of Kimbo Slice? There was a fight. Kimbo Slice was over for one of these celebrity boxing bouts and he took on... Uh, a young bloke, and uh, the young bloke beat the snot out of him. It's pretty interesting. Oh yeah, I remember something about that. Yeah, um, can't remember. Yeah, it's, it might have been on the undercard of like a one of Anthony Mundine's celebrity boxing matches. <laughs> wow, where he fought like a teacher or a you know a taxi driver or something. <laughs> 
They're always the best. You come up against the teacher. It really is. It really is. I. Uh, it's just a shame we don't have like a proper, like world class heavyweight that could just steamroll through all of them and just stop it in its tracks. Who could we put forward for that role? I reckon George Foreman right now. George Foreman must be a good 70 years old, right? I reckon George Foreman right now would beat the fuck out of all of them, one after the other. What about um, Aussie Joe Bugner? I think, I, think he, I think he's dead. Didn't he Is die? He... Pretty I sure don't know. he died. Pretty sure Joe Bugner passed into the great ring in the sky. Let's look that up. Okay. Joe Bugner. I'm pretty sure he died, man. Height, spouse, children. Mm, no, it doesn't say he's dead. I was, I was sure he, he died. <laughs> I went on I'm a celebrity. That's the same thing. <laughs> that, that, that's just his, um, his, his TV career that died. Yeah, yeah. Mind you, I mean, I will say, he is a good-looking man, but... He does have a uh, a British accent, which makes it hard to uh, to sell on Australian TV. His last fight was twenty years ago, and he is how old is he? Sixty nine years old. Yeah, he probably could beat the fuck out of them. Hey, I I I'd back him because you know what? He'd go in there. He doesn't care what they do to his face. So he'd go out there just like a chick from St Helens. He just going there wanting to bash the living hell out of someone's head. George Foreman's seventy years old, and I'll definitely pick George Foreman in a fight against any of these celebrity footy sportsmen boxers we have in Australia. Absolutely, I'm just saying who. If there was any big name fighters, I know he had a fight against some big. There you go. He fought against Muhammad Ali in '73. Wagner, yeah. And Joe Didn't Frazier before that. Didn't he go the distance? Joe Frazier must have knocked him out, yeah. Frazier was a points loss. There you go. And Ali was a unanimous decision loss. See, that's pretty good. I mean, and they were they were pretty good when he fought them. Yeah. That was so actually, to not actually, get knocked out, that's a good effort. That was the second time he fought Ali. Yeah. It was a decision one before that as well. Man, this is fascinating. There we go. We've managed to get to Aussie Joe Bugner in a rugby league podcast. I feel like we've done everything we've wanted to do in a podcast. <laughs> and we did most of it tonight. Um, yeah. From pissing in bottles to Aussie Joe Bugner. Yep. There was rugby league in the middle, we swear. Yeah, it's the circle of life. <laughs> a wimble up, a wimble up, a wimble up. <laughs> um... On that musical note, uh, any shout-outs? Yeah, to the starting block. Follow the starting block. Drop the K at the end. Uh, go and visit com. Check it out. Tell us what you think about it. Tell us if we should make any changes. Uh, go to rugbyleagueproject.org for all your rugby league statistics. Go to leaguefreak.com for all your rugby league analysis. Uh, make sure you subscribe to this podcast and... Give us a five-star rating. Give us a, a really nice review. We'll read out the reviews if you leave a nice review. 
um, feel free to email us at podcast at com, and follow us both on Twitter, Andrew RLP and League Freak. So, yeah, I reckon that's about it, eh? You've known them all. Yeah, that's what she said. <laughs> and uh, on that glorious note, we'll catch you all later. <laughs>